start this one. Guess allow? Sure. Cool. All right. Locked, Locked in. in. <laughs> yeah. You are listening to Within Tolerance, a podcast for machinists by machinists. I'm your host, Dylan Jackson of Proteum Machining. And this week, happy to bring back Chris Zapatini, who is here in person. Second one in person ever. Yeah, staring right into your eyes. <laughs> yeah, we planned this poorly. And I, I, the mic I have, we have to stay fairly close together. And so we are just across the table, locked in to yeah. get you guys somewhat good audio. So yeah. hopefully it doesn't suck. It's going to be beautiful yes. regardless. Yes. Well, let's start off with an update because I know James had asked about an update on the Matsura. Or actually Johnny did, I think, or somebody did. Yeah. Um, so how's that going? It is finally running kind of a real pain in the ass because took a while to get the part the part is expensive this part was like twice as much as what i paid for the machine Ooh. roughly so i paid like six grand for the machine and the draw bar was like eleven thousand dollars which is like it was a tough tough one to swallow it wasn't the washers it was that, actually the no. draw bar and like somebody in the discord had brought this they either brought it up in the Discord or they DM'd me about it. And there are machines that do use Belleville washers, but this machine doesn't. It's like a coil thing. And so there's there's no real repairing it. Yeah. It's, it's you're just, you have to replace it. So we got that going. They kind of pushed me off a little bit in terms of getting the, like starting the service and then the tech that they put on it was one of their like lower level techs as proven by he didn't finish and they fired him, uh, <laughs> which was cool. So there was like about a week or so where they were like, I don't know where it left off previously. And it's like, okay. And then they finally came. It was last Friday. I was there with the tech all day and we were pretty much in the same boat because he didn't know what was going on. And so I was just there. We were both like kind of poking around the control because he's in his 20s or something. I think the machine might, I think he said the machine might be older than he is, oh, um, <laughs> which is, but like we, between the two of us and like him being able to call Matsura, which also it was like right before the holiday weekend, it's kind of a nightmare, but we got it going. The biggest struggle really was resetting the spindle orientation because on a machine that old, it comes with this little box that you plug into the spindle inverter mm -hmm. and then you capture the position and you do all this, like you're finagling with it. There's like a whole procedure that if you don't do it right, it just doesn't work. Um, and you're like, the the recommendation is to put the tool in, like to get it to like lock it in and then e-stop it and and how or like get the arm to come over mm -hmm. and like basically fuck it up on purpose but then you e-stop it so that it's in the right spot and yeah. then you capture the position that way it is bananas yeah so we got that going that was good that took to like six on friday before the holiday and then we had no spindle oil cool a spindle chiller oil at all awesome uh, luckily star metal fluid uh they had i hit them up on like seven on Friday and he came 10 AM Saturday, dropped off five gallons. No way. Yeah. So we, we got that going and still didn't work. No. And I was like, what the fuck is going on here? Like why is I'm still getting a spindle chiller alarm. 
And so I take the cover off the spindle chiller and I think I sent you pictures of this, like it's broken. Like the, there was a piece broken off, like a contactor broken off of the board. Mm-hmm. And I tried like putting it back on and that wasn't working. And so I just kind of MacGyvered it with a fucking piece of wire. <laughs> so, you know, what's funny about that. And I didn't recognize this until you were just telling the story again. There was a machine at my last job. It was a Matsura, I think a VG 800 type two or something. Yeah. So basically the same machine. Yeah. Basically without the pallet changer. Uh, we had some weird issues. I dug way into it. I was on the phone with te- like, uh, there's a, a company that does service for those machines, for, yeah. like the, the cabinet electronics. It's really good. They'll sell you parts and stuff. I, I can't remember what they're called right now. But in digging into this whole thing, I come to find out that the spindle chill- chiller was completely bypassed and hadn't been running, like yeah. not even like out of the loop, had yeah. not been running in probably eight years. Wow. And and then, like, I was telling one of the guys who always runs, and he goes, oh, that's probably why the spindle grows, like, two or three thou over the day. Two or three thou. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, you didn't think to, to say something to anybody in eight years about this? So, yeah. that was fun. That was, that is insane. Yeah. And so, the yeah, when he, the tech left, I was like, oh, so it's alarming. I like, can we bypass it? He's like, I'm not going to bypass it. He's like, because I'm not, like, we're not going to blow up your spindle. That's like 40 grand. It's like, yeah, that's fair. So we got that. That took like almost all day Saturday to get that going. I think we, fuck, I worked from like 6 a.m. to like 1 a.m. on Saturday uh, before we like just made a block. And I will say, you know, Fusion 360, the the Yasnak post just worked perfect. No edits, no nothing. Yeah. Uh, With, and then that was our first test run of the, like true test run of the whole cow motion setup. Nice. So got the cow motion box on there, got that pocket TP mm-hmm. link thing. So it's fully, it's like Wi-Fi, had the drip feed. It's all running on uh, machine power. So like we hijacked 24 volt power off of the cycle start button for the cow motion box. And then we hijacked 24 volt power off the feed hold button for the, for the, the wi-fi mm-hmm. but we also we put a, a little i'll post some pictures of it but like you can kind of see if you're like if you like look but we did a 24 volt to 5 volt to 5 volt converter in there oh, okay because yeah, yeah. it has to be right so and that i mean it turned out pretty clean and it works pretty pretty well and now it's running and we've made like a handful of parts we tossed a tool uh oh. but it, it was the same tool like twice Oh, so, so I it think might be the holder. We just took the, yeah, we were just like, well, it's probably the holder. So we just segregated it and we haven't tossed a tool since. So cool. Okay. Um, yeah. Running. Yeah. Have, you know, haven't really got the pallet changer going yet, but don't really need to. We're making like one to six brackets. Right. We're not going to like really burn the world down. Yeah. Like I need four vices set up, <laughs> <laughs> two on each and just like going. And yeah, it's, it's been, uh, it's a relief awesome. to have that because like we have this project in Phoenix that's like kicking off that the customer just emailed me. They sent parts to the shop so that we can test fit our fixtures because they're sheet metal weldments. So it's like I asked for 10 of each style because and they I think he sent us 40 total uh, because they dual source everything. So he sent us 10 of each of the two parts from 10 from each source. So 40 total. So we can like 
make sure it works with everything, which is very considerate. Oh, uh, yeah, seriously. And he overnighted it because it could have been a nightmare. And this is going to be a good test run for us to be able to like really start dialing in like, how is this machine going to affect our project workflow? Because typically this is something that we would be doing on the customer floor. Uh, what you've said before is it's a fucking hard nightmare. to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like especially... they won't let you break into production and stuff. Well, the, this place, they, they don't have anything else. This is their only machine, which is a different challenge altogether because they have nothing. Right. So we would be, we would, we would still have to do all the work we're going to do offsite just now on their floor. Right. It's still like buy all the tools, probably spend more money in tools because like we have a bunch of tools, we have tool holders, pool studs to make these parts and just do it like, but especially because he's like, this is high visibility project from our executive team, which of course it is. And so it's like, that's the worst case scenario for doing a turnkey because it's like, <laughs> you're just, it's, I mean, it's fine. We do it. We've done it before. Like we did it in Cedar City. You just be, you're just careful. It's just annoying right. from, from our point of view, because it's like, imagine if your customer was standing here while you're making parts, like, why are you doing that? Yeah. Why are you doing that? Oh, oh. Why are you oh. taking a break? What are you talking about? You have to have lunch. <laughs> yeah. Oh, did you just scrap one? Right. Like, come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, relax. Yeah. Don't, it's like, it's just how the sausage is made. And so this is going to be nice to be able to like make everything. We have the Pearson pallets have the bases. So I have all the Pearson stuff. So we're going to like set it all up on the, on our machine and like machine it that way. So it's like dialed in on the pal on the Pearson base and then just rip it off and then send it down. And we, so what's the parts are crazy simple. Like it's almost done. It's like, it's like cut a tab and drill some holes and Easy. that's it. Cause it's uh, I'm not going to say what it is, but it's, it's a bracket basically, but it's like, it's so, it's very, very simple. Mm -hmm. So we should be on site at the customer like less than a week, That's awesome. maybe a whole week for like testing and things like that. Uh, interestingly enough, I was pushing them towards fusion because they don't have any cam system. And I'm like, for these parts, I would use fusion. I'd prefer to use fusion because I want to probe and stuff. And it's just way easier to do. And why would you buy a master cam to drill holes? Right. If you're going to spend like six to $12,000 to do this. Yeah. Your maintenance will be more than yeah. fusion. Like, and like, if you want us to support it after the fact, like we can, we can set up like a project and I was showing, I was, I met with them a few weeks ago and showed them like, we can set this type of deal up. So you put the parts in and like, we can, we can program and then you just have access to it. You post it and it's good. And he's like, okay, that's interesting. And then they decided to go with Mastercam, which is fine. We have it. It's no big deal. It's just what a steep learning curve. Oh, yeah. From nothing. They don't do, like, when I say nothing, like, this is the only machine, CNC machine in there. There's another machine right next to it that's a custom machine that was built by Aerospec and Chandler. Okay. A cool company. And it's like tight, but like most of what they're doing is sewing, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that's, Hey, you know what? If they want to spend money, they yeah, spend money. It is, it is. I mean, it's just, it, this is on theme for what a lot of companies are doing is just insourcing, yeah. you know, like, 
especially something like this, like we can just get the raw material in. It's a very simple process. It's not like they're making, uh, like they were just assembling engines and now they're like, well, we'll build all the components too. Right. And it's like, well, wait a minute. It's, it's fucking four or five holes. Maybe it's, maybe it's right side up. Maybe it's, maybe it's upside down depending on the part number, whatever. Right. Very, very simple. Yeah. Yeah. It's so yeah. Long story short, very, very happy the Matsura is running and we're going to start really cranking stuff. Probably not making, it's all in support of ourselves. Right. Not making like, like I don't have any desire at the moment anyway to like fire up a machine shop. Right. So is this kind of the blueprint for how you want to go forward is like, you know, get the project half done on your machine and then yeah. that way you could really hit the ground running and save your customers time. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Cause it, the, the thing that slows us down the most is on site time is like, if you're on site at the customer, like you, it's, you can technically work on other things. It's just like how many hours in a day do you want to work? And the answer is typically no more than I have to, right? right. <laughs> uh, and I don't want to work on, I don't want to spend like where I'm at right now. It's like I'll work on 12 hours on the floor and then I don't want to go program somebody else's parts for like another couple hours or something. It's just exhausting. Yeah. And okay. the, the thought is like, oh, well, this machine is running. I could do this. And it, it just never works out that way. Yeah. So being able to like, do a lot of like, we could probably stack, stack like a few projects that are, we're doing a lot of like offsite work, a lot of computer work, building parts, things like that. And then just very um, deliberately schedule the onsite time since it's going to be like a handful of weeks instead of like a handful of months right. in certain cases. Well, and I imagine it, <clears throat> it probably would allow you to scale a little better because like it'd be easier Correct. to send new techs for you. Like here's your kit. You yeah. need to finish machine these pockets to the size of the parts that you have on hand, but like all the clamps are installed <laughs> everything's ready, Ex you know, like indicate it and go. Exactly. Yeah. Like I'm working, we're working on, uh, on a quote for a company up in like fucking Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, which is, you know, middle of nowhere, right. basically a gorgeous area, but like you're just so remote and it's like a 40 part turnkey. Like it sounds worse than it is, but it's still like a ton of work. Right. Even, even if you're like cranking, like you get down to like two hours of programming per part. Like even when you're dialed, like you're still talking about That's like two weeks. straight weeks yeah. of just <laughs> programming. And, and that's like what it's going to be. And like, it's a five axis Haas or whatever, but it's like, we can do some of it, like, like build the jaws, like for the fifth axis vice or whatever, a shunk vice pneumatic and like build the Kurt jaws and make sure that works and blah, blah, blah. And then like, pop up there and that that just it just every little bit helps yeah especially like i am just massively in the process of like totally deconstructing and reconstructing what the business is going to be and this is like this is part of that like it kind of it's this was has been a part of the plan going forward but it's weird it's just really like i guess serendipitous timing for this to happen now given what has been happening, where like everything, it just feels like it's all falling apart. Right. Yeah. I mean, essentially has, <laughs> but it's, it's like one of those things, like you can't, I think we've been texting, I've been texting my other guys, just like really just having like, you know, just 
through the process of like an existential crisis and all that noise where it's like you can't work the problem and it kind of goes back to like the pumpkin plan type of stuff where what i'm doing isn't working and if i continue to try and go down this path like i'm not going to see more success i'm just going to see i'm going to put in a lot more effort for very like essentially achieve the exact same thing over and over and over again. And so I've been just like massively scaling back. I think the last time we chatted, I was at like maybe eight active customers and I'm probably at like three or four right now. And one of them is wrapping up like early next week. Probably two of them are going to wrap up next week. Uh, and then the third one I'm hoping is done. The, the big, big one that I'm on right now, hoping is over with by the end of June. And I can kind of transition into some other projects, right? Uh, and training—that's I really want to focus on training. So yeah, that brings up Tom from Inspiration Metalworks asked asked about turning around a business and staying focused on positive stuff when things look bad. Yeah. So yeah, what's the plan for turning it around? Where where are you going from here? Uh, so it's it's uh, it's just been a lot of like, all right, th- like these are my expenses. This is this this is the reality of the situation right now. I can do X Y Z in the moment, which for me is like I have the one main job that we're working on, which is going pretty well, I would say. Other than like just a really weird, the customers also going through some like weird financial stuff, and so I get like they're very like legit back to back days of what's it going to take to finish this whole fucking thing up in two weeks? Like we're talking parts that take six to nine hours, like 14 different part numbers that like the whole stack takes six to nine hours to run that they want to set up on eight machines. Uh, And they're like, (laughs) what is it going to take to do this? And, And like, keep in mind, like we have to go through, these are, these are parts that they have been making for six years. Like they have to go through Delta fair with their customer on all of these parts they have to go through the fair process on their end internally. They have to do all this. It's like they go from that to the next day of like this thing that hasn't been a problem for the six months we've been working on this pro- project is now a massive problem. And we might need to start over like that. That was Wednesday, Thursday, like two weeks, <laughs> two weeks ago. And it's like, what the fuck is going on here? Right. Yeah. But it's like, we figured that out and like basically the plan that we had been going that we had been working towards is the plan that we're going to continue with but it literally stopped everything for two straight weeks while we while we had to go through like a fact finding mission to prove through like an extremely small sample size that the direction that we're going is the right way to go cuz we are 50% faster in terms of cycle time with a lot less part handling. Like, Which is a ton on a six to nine hour run. Yeah. And so, and there's no manual, like we, we completely eliminated the manual detailing operation. Mm-hmm. So there was one up, one machining up, completely eliminated, and one manual detailing up, completely eliminated. Basically go from there straight to like inspection and then to braze or whatever. Uh, and that's that's huge. So there's probably like, even if we are seeing fallout, we probably can see like it would have to be like a lot of parts falling out and it's which is way more than we're actually seeing. That's a that's a whole side tangent. But like in terms of turning the business around, it is like, OK, the what are the things that I want to focus on 
and what are the customers that I want to focus on and how can I like essentially maintain, like get through my debt situation somewhat effectively while I make this transition into like changing the types of customers that I have. And that includes this, like, I'm not, I'm not taking work for the sake of taking work anymore. And this happened literally yesterday where this customer, like three weeks ago, we, we did this whole presentation with Selway to get this massive, like, it's like a four year ramp plan, mm -hmm. like figured out. I think we might've talked about it I on the last one. Bit, yeah. yeah. And that kind of gives you an idea of like where this whole thing is at. Picked out the machines, how we're going to process each part. This, these are the numbers. These are the machines we need. This is when you need to buy the machines, blah, blah, blah. And then they went to the board and they're like, cool. They, they got approved for funding, but decided to go with a different machine that was completely unvetted. Then awesome. it was like, it was like, wait, but it's like, guys, why are you, the parts don't even fit on that machine. The plan hinges on you listening to me. Yeah. And so, which is like, to one of the guys point is like, you're a consultant like just do is like, why does it matter as long as you're getting paid? And it's like, yeah, kind of also like it's a, it's confidence thing. It's like what you're showing me is you don't have confidence in what I'm telling you essentially, right. which is fine. Well, and it's that, but it's also, you gave them a plan. Like that's like me giving a customer a quote for 10 part numbers. And it's like, yeah, there's a couple like hard parts in there that I quoted. Okay. Because I had all this cake work coming along and they're like, yeah, we, we don't want to give you the cake work, but you can take the really hard part that you quoted. Well, yeah. and it's like, nope, nope, that's not yeah. how it works. Yeah, and like, so, sorry. And so, I mean, the nice thing about this particular customer is they paid me for their proposal, which Good. is which is different. That's great. And they paid me to like evaluate the new machine, which we found was like, we ended up going back to the original machine. Uh, and part of that board plan, the board meeting was like, they're going to use us for to get this program up and running. Cool. There's a proposal, sign that, and like, let's get this thing rolling. And that was like almost a month ago or something. Right. And I haven't heard anything. Like, we finally got the machine thing worked out. We did end up going with Haas's, really, because any other machine just doesn't make sense. Like, we're talking about 30,000 true positions, you yeah. know? <laughs> like, they're dead easy parts. And the I mean, the UMC 500 was like $170,000. And like the the other machine started at like 230. And with all the options we would need, it would be like 250, 260, right. 270, somewhere yeah. in that range. And it like didn't make a lot of sense. And I hadn't heard anything. And then yesterday they reach out and they're like, so we actually want, we're thinking the way that you decided to machine the parts, we don't want to do that anymore. We want to evaluate another way of doing the parts. And it's like, okay. And it's like, but we don't want to sign the retainer until after this. And we'll like, we'll pay you for your time and do this. And I was like, guys, like I, I'm not going to do it. like, you're telling me you want to use me that you, that you like what we're doing, that, quote unquote, need us and on the team or whatever, but you don't like basically anything we've done for you yeah. and you won't commit to the project with us, but you want to pay us to like rework the plan and you just hired a programmer and it's like, I'm not getting yeah. really good vibes from this. Your, your like, actions are different yeah. than your words. He's like, well, that's not really the case. And it's like, 
I'll tell you right now, like, can it be done? I'll give you the short version, which was like, and this is what I told him was like, answer is yes, it can be done. But like, I'm not doing more work. Like I'm cutting all of my hourly work in favor of projects and training and like daily stuff. It's like, I'm not doing like, if you want to do this, like we're going to do it. But if not, like, I don't like you're what you're essentially doing is like, I've been through this before. Oh, and then, and then, and then, right. and you're going to like nickel and dime me to death. Yeah. And like, oh, we don't like plan B. So can you, can yeah, you make can plan you do C? This? And they're like, well, we it's not going to be like that. It's like, you're saying that, but that's exactly what's happening. And like, if I was like, if you want, like, if you want to do, if you want to sign the pro, if you want to do the project, we'll do the project. No problem. Like, that's good. I like that. Like, if you don't want to do the project, that's also fine. No skin off my back. It's okay. Right. Like, but I'm not like, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Like I've done what needs to be done. I've done what asked, what you've asked for me. He's like, but we're going to pay you. And it's like, that's my point. If you're willing to pay me and you want to use me on this project, why don't we just do the project? Right. Sign my contract. <laughs> and then, and then we can just start. This just gets wrapped into it. Yeah. I make it make sense to me, please. And he's like, that's just how the CEO is. And it's like, okay, no. Yeah. Oh, thank like, you. Yeah, it's like I, I'm just I have bad feelings about this. Like my gut is typically right. Like I've, like one of the projects that I have currently is like I'm like I've had weird feelings about the guy. Like he gives me he gives me the vibe of this other dude who's really fucking shady. And somebody was like one of the guys who doesn't work for me anymore was like I don't think so. And I know it's exactly how it was when. I was like, dude, like, he's like, Hey, we need the guy who was like, finish this project up. I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. Like, here's like where I'm at my situation. Like you're offering me to do this. Doesn't move the needle for me. And he's like, he's like, well, I'm, I was like my, my business, which is my life is basically falling apart. And he's like, well, our company has it worse. So how are you going to help us with that? <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Oh, oh okay. Sorry. Yeah. It's like, wow. it was a, it was a really weird, I mean, like, it's just like, it just is what it is, I guess. But yeah. It's, it's just going forward. I like, I don't know if I can turn it around, which is the, which is like the ultimate truth of it is like, is it going to work? Like, I don't know. But the way that I'm going, I'm going about it now is just being much more deliberate with everything. And, and like, just kind of sticking to like, we're just going to stick to our guns and not take on work that doesn't make sense just so that it brings in money. Cause most of what that is doing, like most of everything I've done that way so far hasn't brought in the money I thought it was going to. And I'm just exhausted. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so it's a, uh, so do you find that being deliberate now is making the positives more positive like you, or there's less negatives, I guess? I would say there's less negatives. Accepting the situation for what it is and like kind of speaking it into existence is the thing that really helps the most is like, like I, I think I was telling you, like I started tracking our debt situation in Asana, which mm -hmm. has been nice because it's like pay a bill, just type it down. And it's like, oh, cool. We just hit like as of Friday, hit like 31% of what it was overall. That's killer. Yeah. And so it's like sick. And like, there's a couple things that are going to hit next week that'll drop, that'll take that to like 40%. And that, and like essentially two, as of next week, two of the things that were coming out monthly are gone. 
So that was like almost seven grand a month that are just like taken care of that we don't see anymore. And that's good. And then in six weeks, one of the things that's like hitting us weekly, because I did, I made a dumb decision is, is gone. And that's another seven grand a month. So you're doing like 14,000 a month in like loans and shit. And so, and so we get through that and then it's like, kind of, I don't want to say it's easy because we still owe people money, right? but it's, I've talked to those people and like as much as most, most everybody gets it to a certain extent, it's like, I have been paying, obviously I still owe them, but I tell this to people all the time. It's communication is like the key to business essentially more than anything. If you just like, it's like, Oh, what do I do about this? And what do I do about that? It's like fucking pick up the phone and call your customer. Like, Almost everything. Like when I was the con- when I was the director of engineering at fucking South Bay Solutions, they would deliberate. Oh, what about? Oh, what if we don't. What if we do this? And what if we do that? And blah blah blah. And you're like, you're late and late and late. And then the customer, they come in. They're like, what's going on? And it's like, well, this is what we're seeing, and this is what we're happening, and this is what's happening, and we're trying to do this. And he's like, oh, that. He's like, oh, I just want it to be concentric to the casting. And it's like, that's it. Yep. Done. Over. Yep. It's like you're trying to, because they just over toleranced it to like, you're talking eight thou true position to cast datums or something, which is annoying. Uh, and it's like shitty sand castings. <laughs> uh, and you're like, and they're like, oh yeah, it's just aesthetics. That whole, that whole thing is just for aesthetics. Awesome. Yeah. And it's just like weeks of like sweating uh-huh. in the cut and they just come in and they're like, Oh yeah, it's not even a big deal. That's why you're late. Why yeah, did you say like, something? Slash, <laughs> it was like we can hit sixteen. He's like, oh, cool, twenty, done. <laughs> it's like, yeah, is that better? Like, it's like, yeah, it's like, oh, cool. So I'll leave with these parts now. Then, right, all these parts that are bad. Yeah, like MRBs, like pile. Right, up. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, like I'll go disposition all of those as good now. Yeah, cool. Let's yeah. ship. And it's it's. Most everybody, like when you try and hide it, you don't talk, you don't communicate, people get upset. They get like, and like you have some people that no matter what are going to be fucking mad. And those are just people you don't really, I mean, like you can understand the situation, but there's, you expect like a certain amount of empathy in the whole thing, which I guess you you shouldn't necessarily expect, but like, you know, we are humans after all. It's like, we're all doing what we can and like business is business and like, but it's like, this is, I'm not paying you because I'm not not paying you because I fucking feel like it. It's right. Like, just don't yeah. have it. Here's my situation. Yeah. I'm doing my best. Yeah. yeah and sure. like, you got some of them that are like, cool. Yeah. I completely understand. Just do what you can. And it's not like tons. Of, it's not like we're hanging people out like a hundred grand or whatever. Right. It's like 3,000, 4,000 bucks. They just like, here's a little bit. Here's a little bit. Sorry. Thank you. Thank you. You know? Yeah. Well, and you're doing, I think, a lot more than some. Like, I've talked to some business owners that are like, I don't pay until I'm three or four weeks late and somebody calls me. Yeah. And, like, you know, that, I feel like that's more typical than calling them early and being, you know, being upfront and saying, here's my situation. Here's yeah. what I can pay you. I mean, there has been some situations where it's like, you're just like, I have let it go too late. And, like, you just has gotten to the point where people are calling, but it's like, it's like, where is this? And it's like, this is what I can do now. And even then they're still pretty okay about it. Okay. They're upset until they're not yeah. basically. Yeah. And so, I mean, just kind of just getting a more holistic view of the situation and like being more deliberate with like, 
I'm doing this here. I'm doing that there. Like if I take this then I can pay that some of that. Right. And like, Ooh, that's almost done. So maybe finish that yeah. off or something. It's a very, it's very weird. It's a shitty position to be in. It's a position that I don't ever want to be in again. And like some people will, it's like confirmation bias probably for like the whole zero debt thing and whatever, which I, I agree with to a certain extent. Sometimes like it just happens. Like obviously we were in a different position when we started this. Right. Uh, and then a lot like the fucking floor fell out from underneath us, which is again, like why people are like zero debt is better, which is true, but you can't always buy cash. Like things like, I mean, the project in Idaho that we're going to do is like the initial thing we was like 90 grand for the project. Right. And he's like, does that include the fifth access rotary? And it's like, no, no, dude, like what? <laughs> like, like, and so, you know, it's like, you go back and it's like, it's like, I can work by me and the, the dealer. Like we work something out, like we can both come down a little bit. And he's like, well, he's like, I just don't want to spend the cash right now. And it's like, sure. I mean, you can like, the guy's got a shitload of money. It's like, you could finance this whole thing and then pay it off when you need to. Like if, especially if this project is as important as you need it to, it's like, what do you do? Do you, do you spend the money and like take the risk to advance the business or do you just hold off? And cause I've seen that from companies too. Like they just don't ever spend the money unless, unless it makes a hundred percent sense. And, and like they can do it without any risk whatsoever, right? which works sometimes to a point. Right. Yeah. And then you see these companies, like I'm thinking of one in particular where They've seen like zero growth over like the last couple of years because they refuse, like it's not, it's not a guarantee. Nope. Nope. Yeah. Nope. Nope. And it's like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You just stagnate. I mean, I think that like, especially in manufacturing, there are points where you either have to grow with uncertainty or you just stagnate. Yeah. And like, I mean, that's kind of what I, I mean, that's what I did. I grew with a lot of uncertainty. And like, I can talk to a lot of people about what not to do, uh, but I mean, it's hard lesson learned, but I know it now. And I know like, and now in this like deconstruction phase and like the rebirth of whatever this company is going to be going forward is going to be just like so much more deliberate and like focused than what it was. Like I... I've been talking about it. I've been having a lot of really good conversations with machine tool guys about training. And like, I think I'm not going to, I'm not going to say it on mic yet, but like the thing that I talked to you about, about like the whole skill gap thing is, is like, that is like, how can, how can the things, what can the things that I bring to the table benefit the industry in like, in a more like symbiotic way? Right. Cause like I was, I was hammering home on projects, which is good. I mean, like people need it. Like in this case, in the, in California, they're seeing like a tremendous, a tremendous increase in throughput, like by the numbers that they calculated, it's going to be a 50% increase in throughput on with three less pieces of equipment, which is massive. That's insane. And so that's good, but it's really expensive. And like they're, they just, and they keep fucking telling me how expensive it is. So like, <laughs> and it's like, okay, yeah, I get it. But like, 
this is going to net you somewhere in the realm of like 500 to a million dollars a month in additional revenue. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds worth it. Yeah. It's you like, know. we're, I don't know, like, like we're, we're not even $200,000 into this project and it will, and we're already like starting to see some benefits from it. So it's, it's fascinating, but it is a harder pill to swallow. Same thing with this guy in Idaho. That's a $90,000 fucking ton of money to ask somebody to, but it's like, you're, it's a 40 part turnkey. Right. You know? Yeah. It's, it is even, even at the bit, like you're cranking. I think I put like 13 weeks in there or something, which is still like fucking outrageous clip to get these parts going. Yeah. And it's like, that's, if I went any longer, it's like, I could easily see this project, like have made this project like 120, $150,000, but it's like, what it is and like the parts and blah, blah, blah. And like the guy's situation, whatever, whatever it's a 90. And he, even that it's like, it's a lot of fucking money. Right. And so, but like when you break it down, that's it's, two grand apart yeah. to program and develop a process. And yeah. So, yep. It's money makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And, and so the thing that I've been like, that I've been talking about and thinking about is like, and I'm probably going to do with one of the guys that listens to the podcast medical guy out in Memphis is like, I think we're going to be, I'm going to be on site at his facility at the beginning of July, fingers crossed. And we're just going to do, I'm do like, well, I haven't figured out like a slicker name for it yet, but like, we're just going to do like advanced, like process training. So how to better implement like probing and things like that. And like fixture design, we're just going to do like four days on site, just like implementing like how to do probing, which you like see like Renishaw will do for you or whoever will do for you. But they're just going to show you how to use the probe. Right. And like, I'm going to show you how to use the probe for your shit. And almost every machine tool guy that I've talked to is like, fuck yeah, that's the shit we need. Because like, we're just, we just don't have the resources to do that. Right. And we don't want, to. Exactly. I mean, not that they don't want to, it's just like, that the the general consensus is like they just don't have the resources to go like deep 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 right and like that's what i love to do like we're going balls deep all day baby <laughs> um, and so and so like yeah i've had good conversations with like Allison guys here in phoenix which i'm hoping to spend more time here in arizona we'll see how that goes good conversations with machine tool guys in like new york and in southern california and stuff like it's it's one of those things where when you start talking about the turnkey stuff, like initially, like three years ago, say like two and a half years ago, I, they can see the need. Sure, this makes sense. I don't want to tie my resources up for this. If it comes along, maybe, you know, right. but this is like, oh, we get asked this all the time and we don't have the resources to do this. Like send me information. What's it cost? What are you going to provide? Whatever, whatever. And like people are like, I mean, excitement doesn't mean it doesn't turn into money always, but out of everything we've talked about with people and like everything we like are going towards doing, the two things that have really started to excite people the most is the fact that we have a piece of equipment to be able to machine parts for the projects that has gotten like, that was a deciding factor in this, in this project in Phoenix. Oh, you can make that in-house. Oh, really? Perfect. Yeah. It's a timeline thing. Like, and then the other thing is like, oh, this, like you being able to help our customers use our equipment better. Great. 
you know, yeah. that's awesome. We can see that. And it's like, and I'm jacked up about it, even though like, and I haven't, I, I'm, I'm in this zone where it's like, still like have to have to focus on what's in front of me right now. I can't lose sight of the projects that I have to focus on something that I don't have yet. So it's like, I need to wrap up a couple more things before I can like really dive into that. Yeah. But this, this whole thing in Tennessee, which I'm hoping goes, I like me and me and this guy, we text all the time and like, he's excited about it. We like, we've talked on, we talked on the phone the other day for like a fucking hour about probing and whatever he's doing and whatever. And it's like, yeah, it seems like this is going to go. Yeah. And it probably has like some real legs, which might just lead to like a total, like, and then aside from that is like, I'm just going to, at some point I'm going to get my name off of the company and just like go with like a word right. or something. I know, you know we talked about that. Yeah. Like yeah. Proteum or whatever, you know, like don't, choose, don't choose something people can't pronounce. Yeah. Just something simple. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Proteum doesn't work. Oh dude, we got Proteum and Petroleum <laughs> yeah. and yeah. You know, choose something that's easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, oh, so yeah, it's been a lot. There's been a lot of I mean, I just kind of fucking ranted for like thirty minutes, but I think you needed it. Yeah. No, that's that's great. That's really good to hear. I think that like you said, the things we've talked about that you're thinking about doing, are, you know, really have a good shot, really working really well. Yeah. So I'm excited. I also fired a customer and we talked turned about down this. some work. Yeah, I, we talked about it. I didn't share it on the show. So last time we talked, I, I think I had talked about how the only customer that Brad and I agreed with was this driller that used to work next to us, and how we were every time he walked in, we're like, oh great, what is he bringing us now? Yeah, and. I think I told you that he brought this stupid part. It's part of his drill. It needed fixing. You know, the bushings had worn out because this thing just shakes everything to pieces because it's a drill. Yeah. Uh, and he had come up with this idea. He, like, didn't have a way of telling me. Let me back up. He thought that these bushings had wallowed out so much that I couldn't find center of these holes. And so he wanted to weld caps on them and then mark them with a center punch and have me use those as my origins to put in the new bushings, which are just upsized ODs on these bushings. Okay. And I said, sure, whatever. You know, that's I guess that's how we did it the first time. Brad was the one who did it last time. I had to do it this time. I get get it from him with the center marks. I measure them. They're like 60 thou different in one direction and 30 thou off in the other direction. And I go, well, that ain't going to work. So I just picked a, an average between the two and then found used, you know, datums that I established, I like flat sanded two faces on this part and indicated it in and whatever, and started going down off of this new thing. And I get below the weld cap and I can see the hole from the last one. And I'm like 60 thou off and in one direction off of the old hole. And I'm like, this isn't even going to clean up. Like the new bushing is going to be a three quarter press because it's so, <laughs> so far off. And so I call him and I told you, it was like a struggle to get him down here he was like well i don't i don't know what i'm gonna see when i get down there i'm like it's your part you need to come tell me what you want to do you need to see this and you need to tell me what you want to do yeah and he comes down and argues with me and i'm you know i keep telling him i don't know why we aren't just finding center let me find center off of the old bore and just do that from both sides i'll measure it once the first one's done and then flip it over and then probe and do it off of the same datums yeah and he goes well i don't know it might work might not this is what we're going to do. Making the decision. You've, you've left it up to me, I guess. I'm going to do it. Oh, and then on top of it, 
I had told him that the old bushings ran within brass. This was really funny. Bushings, I guess. Or, yeah. or, you know, like when he brought them to us, both Brad and I had seen these brass bushings that the old bushings had actually been in. And we we both realized, well, it's just probably the brass that was wallowed out, not the steel that these bushings were in. It doesn't make yeah. any sense. And I told him that while he was here and he's fighting with me. He's like, nah, there's no brass. How'd I weld them? How'd I weld them? <laughs> I, I, I like, said, you fucking tell me. I, yeah, I was like, I, I don't know. Where did they go? He kept asking me, what did you do with them? And I said, there was weld over this. I didn't touch them. They were in there. And the first side that I that had open when he was here, there was no brass bushing. So I assumed yeah. he, he had taken them out. Do the first one. Came out great. Super straight and, and parallel to the faces that I indicated in. Flip it over. Start cutting. And I stop it after it breaks through the brass. Or, sorry. After it breaks through the weld cap. Yeah. I go, huh, Brad, come here. Look at this. And there's brass bushing on the entire thing. <laughs> And, you know, I'm seeing brass chips come out of this thing yeah. in addition to the steel. And so I bored him, whatever. And when he came to pick them up, I just told him, you know, he said, oh, let me pay you. And I go, no, no payment. The way you can pay me is you're never bringing me R&R work again. Yeah. It's, we're, we're not doing it. That, that's not what we can do. It's too disruptive. I was like, this alone at our current shop where, with all of the stuff I had to deal with and how long it, I had to wait for you to call me back would have been over two grand. And he goes, oh, I'll, I would have paid that. I said, nope, it's just not worth it. We're not doing R&R work anymore. I'm yeah. sorry. I appreciate, you know, I want to help you out, but this is just not for us. I was like, you should have it line board in place because that's what they're made for. And I had to explain to him what a line board was. And then, <laughs> but anyway, and then he texts me the next night and go, oh, because while he was here, I kept saying, he kept saying, well, you did it perfect the first time. You did it perfect the first time. A, they were virgin plates the first time we did them so oh. of course we bored them correctly because there was no like yeah. weld spatter all over them and dings and all this stuff and we were just boring holes b i think there's just a lot more slop in his thing but i kept telling him oh i think we were just lucky you know i think it just happened to work out like this yeah and then he texts me and goes well you must have gotten lucky twice because they fit perfectly the second time and i was yeah. like cool nice but that's it like yeah and then he came by the other day just to just to tell me again yeah it worked perfectly yeah. like hey cool yeah. Thanks. Yeah. See you later. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, you got some billet stuff or. Yeah. And then I don't remember if I texted you about it, but another company in town has kept asking for quotes over and over and over. Yeah. They're actually very close to here. And every time they beat me up on price or, or they just don't, they, they'll say, send me a quote, this updated quote, we will buy it. And I say, cool. Send it to them. I see that. Like I can see on paperless when somebody views a quote, Yeah, they'll view it six times nothing mm -hmm. and so they just sent over some work maybe a week ago and i just said i'm sorry we have no open availability yeah i just i wasn't gonna waste my time with more quotes yeah, just can't do it it was a bunch of giant delrin parts too that i just were super thin and yeah i just i wasn't about it so it, it felt good it, yeah. especially after reading the pumpkin plan and like us talking about that yeah it felt really really good it does yeah it just feels like you start to like crystallize what the what your business is as opposed to just like we'll do anything quick turn let's go like any low volume work whatever you got i'll take it and it's like that's a strategy right and it is one of those things i mean i think like dan rudolph's brought it up before same thing it's like it on paper makes sense but then once you get into it it's like not all parts are created equally 
So taking everything just doesn't work. And being able to be like, fuck you is satisfying. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it was, I think that the book was a good primer because I, I liked it. You know, the driller yeah. guy, like he's a nice guy. Yeah. I didn't want to be mean to him, but it just, it was very nice having wording from the book. And, and like you said, crystallizing your own business identity of just, mm-hmm. this is just not us. Nothing to do with you. I don't have any yeah. ill will towards you. I just, I'm not doing it yeah. anymore. Classic breakup. It's not you. It's me. Right. Don't worry <laughs> yeah. About it. yeah. Yeah. But it worked. Yeah. I mean, he, good luck. It's going to work because I'm not taking any more of that work, period. It it was a pain in the ass. And really, it was dealing with him. Like, if he had drawings and prints and had said, hey, do this and I'll pay you $1,000, I could have had it done in an hour. It would have been like, cool, I'll do that all Mm -hmm. day. But it was the fact that I set it up and then had to wait eight hours for him to call me back when I had a question. Well, not when I had a question, when I had an issue that he caused. Yeah, which is like one of those serendipitous situations where... Had it gone smoothly, you probably would continue to take on this work, you know, when really it's like, oh, no, no, no. Like it going poorly, as shitty as it was, was like really is able to like mean very similar situation that I'm in where it's like it just opens your eyes to like, oh, yeah, fuck this. Yeah. Like, no, thanks. no, we're done. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Even if you're doing it well, I don't want it. I don't yeah. want to do it. <clears throat> Let's see. Questions. One of you machinist favorite cutting tools. That's a interesting that's an interesting question. I am really I'm really partial to uh like for roughing in aluminum. I really like the Imco AP power paths. Like I really enjoy that they have four to one aspect ratio. That's mm-hmm. nice. So like three quarter by three, five flute, the they're deep flutes, they got chip breakers on them. Like we I've posted about it before where we just fucking rip and like one case we switched from a three flute tool the three flute non-chip breaking tool to the five flute so obviously we got more more feed out of it for just doing nothing and then that didn't fill up the bin as much right it's like like the, the material removal on those parts was such that like we would fill up like a 35 gallon 35 gallon trash bin in like one run oh jeez. yeah it's just a ton of material to remove and we're because we we're doing three inch cuts so the fucking chips were super long yeah. and they like carry a lot of cooling out with like them the bird's nest literally it, yeah and so switching to that like i mean it makes the fucking the trash can really heavy because you're talking about a lot more like the density of the chips but we're able to get like four or five runs out of out of the the tote right. instead which is like massive and we were faster so it's like double win finishing i've really fallen in love with frasia like they just make good shit it's a little expensive yeah some some of it is like some of their smaller shit is actually not that bad no but like it's like some of their lines like i was telling you just before we started those e-cuts yeah i think they're cheaper than a helical and all of the same like yeah flute and aspect and all that stuff and that thing's been running in 316 and 174 and 304 for months now. yeah like and I, t- I just took it out the other day and it's dull but like the roughing end mill we use from helical the seven yeah. flute that we used to run it would get like chips like yeah. it, it would really start to break down uh-huh. I mean, it would last for a long time yeah this one looks all together nice. there's no chips in the cutting edge there's no missing material corners aren't breaking down yeah. it's just getting dull 
they just go and go. Yeah. Have you had a chance to test the alien tools? No. They're sitting on my desk. Oh, I'm waiting. Yeah, well, I, I just need something that I can dedicate a little bit of time. Like, they're expensive enough tools that I don't just want to throw them at a run-of-the-mill part yeah. and hope for the best. Sure. I really want to get... First time I run them, I want to give them the best opportunity to shine yeah. and really show their value. And I need to talk to their apps guys again and see uh, how tolerant they are. Like, you know, the, the, the ball mill we use the most of right now is a six millimeter Fraser space Sphero aluminum, Sphero AL. Sure. And they advertise, you know, you can rough, you can finish all that stuff. Um, I don't know if I can do that with, with these, these yeah. because of the diamond coating. So I need to talk to Travis. Moore yeah, about that's a good point. Cause like if you rough, you might like just break those fuckers down right. really quickly. Or they could be totally fine. Yeah. I, I really just don't know. And I didn't think to ask when I was there more yeah. about it. And I, I need to. So yeah, you were in awe. But yeah. I, I had a lot of my mind yeah. besides like, Oh, I've, I go, I've got three shows at home. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but I'm excited to try them out for sure. Okay. But yeah, I'd say I love Destiny. They they were like the first end mill that we went with. Mm -hmm. I still love them. I think they have some of the most accurate cutting diameters on the market, okay. at least for their Viper line. Yeah. It's like negative three tenths to negative one tenth off of nominal. Nice. So I really like that. I use a ton of Fraza. Really like uh, carbide cutting tools as well. Okay. I think that for the money, it's really hard to beat them, especially for roughing yeah. tools. Um, we have recently switched to the, uh, what is it, AX FPS from Fraza for roughing. Okay. Just because it's through spindle, so you can ramp uh, like crazy. And, and actually, Doug has through spindle eagles. I just don't have them. And sure. we, we got a trial of the AX, and that thing just rips. Yeah. So we'll see. I I, I was using the eagle roughers for, or eagle claw roughers for the longest time. They, that's a sick name. Yeah. Well, they just are such tanks yeah brad one point i think he had said his z rung and came in like 150 thou past the jaws and started roughing into the jaws on an aluminum part with an aluminum eagle claw and it didn't not a single chip not not a single yeah. corner broken at like a hundred something inches a minute into whatever hardened steel car yeah. smart uses for their jaws. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the, that's always how it works. If you don't try it, right. If it, you're not trying to do it, it'll work every time. Yeah. But if, if you were trying, it'd break immediately. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I think this will work. And then it's just <laughs> like yeah. grenades. But yeah, I, th I think that those kind of cover it. You know, I, I think our chamfer mills come from scientific cutting tools. Okay. Cause they have the only non-coated five flute tipped, chamfer mill i could find okay helical makes five flute chamfers that are tipped but all of them are coated for steel gotcha and when i asked them about making an uncoated one they wanted to charge me like 200 bucks a tool and i had to order five or something they make them custom yeah i was like fucking just don't put them in the, the yeah. coating of it You're like well you see the thing about <laughs> it is <laughs> yeah so yeah scientific cutting tools makes that one they are great uh I think that pretty much covers most of our tools. I think everything, my rougher, my 3H rougher, 3H finisher are both Fraza, and then everything from quarter inch down to eighth, or down to 16th is Destiny right now. Tight. And then, yeah, that pretty much covers everything. Sick. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, let's see. What else do we have? Oh, Servant Solutions. They wanted us to talk mill turns. So that's all you, because I don't know. 
yeah. anything. And there's no additional context to that at all. I know it's just Milturns. Just Milturns and, and sci-fi. Yeah. So let's cover the sci-fi first. Sure. <laughs> That's a much better one. So that, that kind of came up because I posted about a, another podcast that I do with my buddy, or what's well, his podcast that I'm on occasionally for Ready Player One, where he really likes that book. And I, I used to really like that book. And then I fucking hated it. I'm still <laughs> like, that, that episode's about to drop. So if you want to hear me, like, absolutely, like, we just kind of roast this thing for an hour and a half or something. It, it was good. It's fun. <laughs> and then we were talking about like Andy Weir, you know, the Martian, the Martian yeah. Artemis, Project Hail Mary, and like Martian I liked. Artemis is kind of a I didn't like that book that much. It's okay, but it's not great. And Project Hail Mary I really, really liked. Okay. And we started talking about, I don't know, some other bullshit like Brandon Sanderson, which is more like fantasy, fantasy right? Yeah, than science fiction. Is that Wheel of Time or is that, that Mistborn he, or something? Both. Oh, so, okay. so fuck who's, I forget who started wheel of time, but Brandon Sanderson finished it. Okay. Cause the guy died. Um, and he, I think he wrote Mistborn first, which is, it's great. And then after he finished that and the guy died, the dude's wife was like, I want you to finish uh wheel of time. No so pressure. He did that. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean like the guy just like, he is a phenomenal writer. It's great. Like, Mistborn's good. Stormlight Archive's great. Like, the Mistborn 1 and 2, which is bonkers. And they're all kind of, like, in the same, like, universe mm-hmm. or whatever. It's expansive, like, hundreds of hours of, like, listening. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the last Stormlight Archive book is, like, 56 hours. Jeez. It's, but it's, it's so good. Like, I think the first one's, like, 40-something, and they just get bigger and bigger. And he's he's just very prolific. I think he he's kind of the reason why I think a lot of my taste has changed. Because just like he's such a good writer, when I like would go back and like revisit stuff, it's like, oh, this is this is bad. Like, <laughs> like this is it's it's not well written. The story kind of sucks. It's like very cringy. Like, were you getting like with Ready Player One and like? hyper specific descriptions about things that don't matter and mm-hmm. like things that matter that end up with like zero description whatsoever. Like, what are we fucking doing here, man? <laughs> you know, like this is insane. Uh, but yeah, I, and so we kind of chatted back and forth about sci-fi books and I like gave him like what I would probably like the order that I would read the Brandon Sanderson, the Cosmere stuff, which is like Elantris, Mistborn one, Stormlight Archive and then Mistborn Two, like that's that's a fucking project. Like it sounds like you, it. You have to be ready to do that. The Mistborn one is pretty like those books are pretty small. Like I think the longest one's like thirteen hours or something to listen to. Oh, that's not too bad. So it's not crazy. Yeah. But yeah, and then Milturns. It's a big fucking topic. Yeah, seriously. Know? I mean, I'm very partial them that's what i was doing that's like how i ended my career at methods was doing nakamura stuff uh, i don't think they're as scary as people make them out to be but like lathes are scary they're scarier than mills for like obvious reasons yeah just like, kinetic energy yeah exactly like <laughs> it's 
I remember having this conversation with my, one of my bosses at methods is like, they're scared. There's just so much more energy in that cut. And he's like, you think so? It's like, I fucking know it. Yeah. No, no. Like just math says so. <laughs> yeah, um, like you're, you're moving everything. Yeah. Like, Oh, it's not like you're fucking spinning the whole vice, you know, on the table. That's like milling is for the most part. If you're like the, the crashes can be pretty brutal. If you like really mess up, like you mess up a Z, you smash the spindle into something. But for the most part, like if your Z is good, the worst that's going to happen is like, what you'll toss apart, which it can be scary. But like, it's not nearly as scary as when you're spinning at like two thousand, like spinning a two inch bar at like 2000 RPM and you're cutting like, you know, like, 15, 20 thou per rev and you're just fucking at like a hundred thou depth of cut and you just, it goes past what you thought it was going to or, or like the word, one of the worst crashes that I ever had was like, I had, I had my Z set wrong on the lathe. And so instead of pre-positioning in front, it positioned at the jaws. And so I sent the fucking, like the fucking turret into the, like, and like everything skewed. Oh, of course. And, And like, it's you can toss apart, you can toss apart, you can break a tool, spindle's probably gonna be okay. Your vice might be tweaked depending on like how big of a piece of material you're cutting. But for the most part, everything's gonna be fine. You don't really need to like check that much stuff unless you like pile up and like really like wreck your spindle. So that's all prefacing like why why I think like people perceive the the military stuff as scary. Right. Also, there's just a lot of shit going on when you start to get into like multi turrets, multi spindles. It's like this thing is going here, it's going there, right. and they're yeah. doing it at the same time. On the main, you got yeah. a lower turret turning on yeah, the side. Like, but... I'm fucking, or you get into like three turrets, like I'm pinching over here while this <laughs> one's over there, and you're like, oh my god. But it's like if you think about it, you like it's the. Analogy I like to use a lot is cars because most, most everybody that does this is like somewhat into cars a little bit like, or they've worked on their car. Right. And it's like, if you pop the hood, like on your MR2, there's a like where there's no like covers or anything. It's just a lot of shit going on. And it's like, you look at it. If you look at it as one thing, it's like, Jesus fucking Christ, (laughs) am I going to work on this? But it's it's all it's a it's a system integration right. problem where yeah. oh I have my cooling circuit I have this circuit whatever and like so when you start to break it down into like pieces it's like it's a lot more manageable and like and then how those things come together and that's how I like like to look at Miltern stuff especially like multi turret multi spindle stuff is yes it can do all of these things but you don't start with that right it's like what is the first thing I need to do? I need to rough my part on the main spindle. That's this one tool doing this. Right. It's a turning operation. Yeah. Like, okay. Okay. I finished this whole side. I need lower turret for this. I need that. And you just prove it out bit by bit. Then you put it all together, you know, like, okay, here's how, here's how I need to dance. And you like kind of learn the intricacies of weight codes and things like that. I would always caution like more weight codes as opposed to less. Because like you you run into situations, especially on multi-channel machines, if you're single blocking things, like and how it sees the spaces. If you have like multiple dead space on one side, but not as much, and like how it's going to execute things, 
where, and I've had some like low energy crashes because of this, where it's like, you're at like 5% and it's like, I single block through this, everything ran good. And then you like go to run it and it's like, you just bump the turrets together Ooh. and it's like, Oh, I needed, didn't have my weight codes set right. appropriately. This all worked because of how things were firing, but it's all like thing. It's just like you do here. You just have to be careful and mindful. Right. And so you get a little bit there, you get a little bit there. Well, it's like proving out on the mill and a dog leg doesn't hit you when you're at 10% rapid. And then all of a sudden you turn yeah. it up and it's like, Oh, I just ran that tool through a part. Cool. Ex okay. Exactly. Yeah. And sometimes like we, yeah, you see that with simulation where it's not simulating the dog leg, it's simulating straight through and you're like, cool, nice. Like I stayed down and it didn't, it didn't do anything. Yeah. And then I'm it good. Does, yeah. Then it does what you're talking about. But like, I mean, for those boys, I mean, I'm, I'm a big advocate for Milton for those boys, unless their product, unless their pro, their part mix has changed that much. Like they're doing a lot of lathe type parts right. that have milling features. And even if they do end up needing to go onto the mill, uh, it's not like you where you, you are pretty deliberate about the parts you're taking, like, and you're going to outsource the lathe work if you need it. They're literally doing lathe parts on their mills. <laughs> and, and like, you know, so I think they could benefit from it quite a bit. I mean, I've been talking to Easton a bunch about I me. Mean, just like I was just helping him the other day with using the fucking sub spindle as a quill. Yeah, um, I think it was cool. Yeah. How it like actively pushes on the part. It is. It is a very. Yeah. And like that is this is why I'm like a really big advocate for Nakamura also is like they build shit like other lathe companies do have stuff like that, but it's just not as like you kind of need to know macros and system variables and things to make that work. Where like to get that going, it's like a two line G code uh, where you activate it. And we were having trouble, like essentially, I think what it ended up being was his center was just a piece of shit. And so we blew it up because like <laughs> we couldn't, we couldn't get it to engage because it was like sprung. Mm -hmm. So it would like never, it would, it would engage, but like it was basically pushing back. And then I uh, think it turned his life. I think what ended up happening is his life center eventually center. would turn into a dead center. <laughs> but, but then you, uh, but that's another beautiful thing about like how that function works. Cause you just sync the spindles up. Right. And then you jam it in. And that's, that is kind of one of the really nice functions is, spindles are sunk they're going to spin together so you that's you jam it in now you don't need it doesn't need to float because it is going to maintain that pressure for you right uh, and really most of that stuff is for if you have you don't have like dead length chucks so like if you clamp and it pulls it in right. or whatever yeah where like if you don't have your like torque setting stuff set right and you clamp like oh i pulled cool and then you clamp and it fucking grabs the b-axis or your sub spindle and sucks it in and then it, it just bombs out because it's like nope but a nakamura will will automatically compensate the b-axis to account for that sucking in and oh, that's cool and will maintain like it's a weird thing because they'll call it like a torque limit which to me like the way that it's written it reads more like it does you don't want to if it sees more than that is when you're going to have a problem but really it sets it. So if you set it to like 20% or 30% or whatever, then like no matter what, that will be the maximum that it sees always. And so if it needs to move, 
the B to like maintain that 20%, it will, and you'll fucking see it doing it. Cool. It's, it's rad. From what you've said and from what Easton has said about his machine, it seems like Nakamura's were made by people who actually made parts on lathes. Yes. Which seems in stark contrast to a lot of machine tool builders where they are expert machine tool builders and they yeah. say, you should just make parts like this because we say so. So Nakamura started, and it just, I mean, it really fucking depends on who you talk to on like what the lore is right. from like methods and Selway. But you talk to one guy and Clem, Clem Sr. or Clem Jr., one of the Clems who founded Methods found Nakamura because like, oh, like Methods is responsible. They are a factor in why Mori is here in the U.S. Like they were the first people to import Mori Seiki into the U.S. and then Mori eventually dropped him. And so Methods needed to find another lathe. They found Nakamura and like, and like, just this they're in the middle of like kind of kind of the middle of nowhere in like some coastal town they were really boutique back in the day like a boutique lathe builder and they still technically are right. all they like, it's one of the reasons why i advocate for them if you're going for a lathe because all they build is lathes period like they don't make a mill like their b-axis stuff is is arguably the best b-axis like in a horizontal configuration all they do is make lathes and they just fucking rip. Right. Uh, and well, just all the little things like you're talking yeah. about, like the torque limiting, the airbag system yeah. is pretty unique. It seems like they yes. they put a lot of these features in and it's not just flashy stuff. It's, no. it's experience that has taught them these are these would be great features. Yeah. Yeah. Like they have they have a really cool feature called jump programming, which makes it really easy to with G codes. And it becomes very effective on dual spindle dual turret machines where you're bouncing around a lot and like you have set runs because like you essentially with through jump programming can hit cycle start and it will feed in the material like call the call the bar feeder whatever cut them cut the main spindle only the main spindle and it's running everything but it's jumping over the shit you don't want to run because it sees that the sub spindle is open and because the sub spindle is open i'm not going there right oh cool and then it hits the section where it's like okay i need to transfer now cool i'm transferring now i see both spindles are closed and i don't need the bar feeder so then i'm gonna cut everything and right and then it's like okay i've reached my part run so i don't need to like when the bar when the subs when the main is done because i've hit my limit i'm just gonna cut the sub done and it's all through g code like you don't and like it takes a little bit to get going, and that's think this is a problem that like methods has and like with training is because like I've I've trained people to do this, but like sometimes they kind of they don't do a great job of doing this because they don't understand it themselves because it is very very specific to the process right and the customer and everything and you can only go so deep, uh, but it is like such a phenomenal feature. And that that feature that we're talking about is like the most recent iteration of it. The previous iteration, which you can still use, it's still there, allows you to like make programmatic decisions based on any signal in the that's happening in the ladder. So you can like it's like G four seventy one. You could look at any register in the ladder and jump in the program to do anything, right? Which is that's sick. insane. Yeah. So we did. 
we did like the best use of this. One of the better uses of it was on this. We put, we had, we were doing, I've talked about this on the podcast and to other people is like big Nakamura robot project, oil and gas thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we had to, what we found was like, so we had it integrated in, we had the jump programming all good to go for the, for the, um, for the regular process, but we couldn't like, it was the material sucked. And so like you cut it and like, it was a plus two minus one thou bore and you cut it. And when you'd measure it in the machine, dead nuts, perfect. And then you would release the release it and the internal stress would make it egg. Yeah. Like, like out of tolerance. And so we had to essentially do a skim cut, but we also had to do high, low chucking. So we, what we would do is, we would pulse like, so you put like you turn the low, the low pressure chucking on, which on a three jaw chuck, um, you can essentially like remove all pressure once it's clamped for the most part. And it's going to hold to the, hold on to the part, at least like the shunk ones that we were using. Hmm. And cause like when you release the pressure, it doesn't change like, or when you change the pressure, like the clamping force doesn't change. You actually have to cycle it. I see what you're saying. But we still needed to be able to monitor the we needed like for the robot and everything we still needed to be able to monitor the the switches the chuck clamp unclamp switches right uh, and so typically what it is is like you have one or the other you either like pulse it and wait or you have it wait you have it clamp and go to the to the switch and then it moves on so what we had to do is we we did the pulse mode where like it just moves on no matter what and used our and like built an M code essentially that would look at the chuck clamping signal and just like essentially do a wild do loop and loop loop the clamping so like clamp 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 until it sees the signal or unclamp 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 until it sees the signal and like we did that all through the jump programming because we were just looking at that signal oh that's so um, cool and so that worked and that allowed us to just flash like essentially clamp unclamp where like the part never moved but it was enough to release the pressure right. and and go onto a lower pressure so then we could do a skim cut and make a good part. And that's a cool feature. That's super cool. That's <laughs> yeah. really, really cool. Uh, but so I like I don't know if that's what people were looking for, for what he was looking for from Milturn, but like <laughs> if I like my recommendation almost always is gonna be a Nakamura. They are expensive, like, but you kind of like it's shit like that that you're not gonna really see on like it's it's hard to put that on like a on a brochure right you know when you're selling like stats and stuff is like oh i have i have this list of nebulous features that will probably help you that i cannot really detail put you can't put enough detail in there to make it make sense right you know? they like they each need their own brochure <clears throat> yeah you, you couldn't put it on a sales brochure yeah because like sure. we've we like the sugami like m8 B something or other is a very similar machine to like the AS 200, but you don't get a lot of cool shit. You get a a lesser control, zero IMF. You get weird clearance stuff. I will say that about Nakamura's. They have phenomenal clearance. Oh, really? Yeah. Like they're, they're I don't know what it is. It's like the construction of it. They typically have like, which for some people is a bad thing. They typically like on the size of machine will have a smaller width turret but it allows you to like kind of get everything closer together. 
So like we were doing a similar process on like a Nakamura and then I was trying to do the same thing on an Akuma and it, the whole equation changed. Huh. It was like, I just could not get close enough to the spindle where like when it was a bolt carrier where like I, I had those, I had like the spindles, like pretty much as close as I could possibly get on the knock, the WI-150, and on this Akuma, like, we had to stick it out, like, an extra, like, three or four inches. Ooh, and it's yeah. just, like, it just would not fit the way that the machine, like, limits were set up and everything. It just didn't work. And the tools were bigger. Everything was just bigger. And, like, it's beef. The machine, like, Akuma, fucking great lathe. Hate the control, but the iron is fucking phenomenal. Right. But for my money, they're also really, really, they're even more expensive than an Akamura. Yeah. But yeah, I I love military and stuff. I want to do more of it. I told like I told James, I was like, if you buy that, off like I'm, <laughs> I was like, I'll come fucking help you get that going. I was like, I'm so like I'm. I told him, and I'll like put it on air. Like I'm confident that it would be that big of a deal to his business that like I would spend a week with him on my dime to get that thing fucking running because I think it means that much. Like just seeing the graveyard of parts that they do, it's like this would be massive spend more money than the on another five axis. But like, it also would free up both of their other machines. Right. Like, your actual mill work. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it is just blanking and stuff like that. Totally. Yeah. TMC makes asked the best dumb thing you've done in the last year that worked to solve a problem. That's a, that's a tough one. Yeah. I was trying to think too of like dumb things that I've mean, definitely done dumb things. I fixed my spindle chiller in like a really fucking janky way <laughs> just cause like I couldn't, I just not confident enough to like start fucking with the board itself. So I just like soldered a wire to the connector and just like, you know what I mean? Okay. And cause it's just like all that thing is all that once what I realized was all that, all that, was doing those that wire is just confirming to the machine that it's on right so it's like it's not doing anything like really trick it's just like yes i'm here so it's like made sure that like it wasn't gonna short on anything like but initially to test it just fucking like like spun the wire up and like jammed it on and and like (laughs) and i was like okay that's it and then i and then i tried to do some other stuff but it's like if I fuck this up, I might, I might make it so I can't use the machine at all, you know? Cause it's just like a, it's a fucking 23 year old board uh-huh. and a really, really thin piece of metal that seems like it's hanging on by a thread. And it's like, this will work. It's janky as shit, but I can run. Yeah. And so that's where, that's where I was at. Probably the other thing is like, I don't know, you know? mixing coolant. I don't have a coolant mixer, just five gallon bucket and like a fucking paint drill mm-hmm. <laughs> or a paint thing. And Dude, that's like, what I did for yeah. a long I mean, time. It just works. It works. Pain in the ass, but it works. And I'm trying to think if there's any like really wonky, like stuff we've done project wise. That's just stupid. But it like, it's like, I can't believe this is going. I don't know. I feel like machining, if it feels really stupid, as long as it's not sketchy, but if mm-hmm. it feels stupid in the moment and then it works, looking back on it, you kind of you're like, well, of course it worked. It yeah. wasn't stupid. It just I just didn't know it was yeah. supposed to work. Yeah, there's some things where you're like, yeah, yeah. I can think of one of the 
one of the things that always comes to mind is I was doing some like, this wasn't in the last year, this was like a couple of years ago. I was doing some part that had like all this like weird geometry or whatever. And I'm like, we only have to make a handful of them. And I just waterfall cut the whole fucking thing with like a bullnose end mill. And it came out great. And I'm like, it's kind of a hack, like, but fucking worked. Yeah. And it's like, if it works, it's not a hack. Right. That's what somebody told me. And it's like, yeah, true. It's like, it's only dumb if it doesn't go, I guess. And yeah, I mean, everything kind of seems stupid until it, like you said, everything seems stupid until it goes. Yeah. And then you go, oh, okay. Yeah. That's a new trick in the yeah. bag. Like some of the speeds and feeds I'm doing on this like vacuum project that we have when I'm like texting my guy Scoob about it. And he's like, do you just try stuff? He's like, I would never have tried that. And it's like, cause we're like ramping. It's like a two and a half millimeter end mill ramping into like a full width slot. Just, just held by vacuum. It's like a one by one slot. It's like a hundred thousand deep full width like 18,000 RPM and like 110 inches a minute. And we ramp it like 10 degrees in with a two flute Frasier and it just like fucking rips. And it's like, cool. It's like, wow. yeah, I know you told me <laughs> yeah. piece of feeds and I was blown away. Yeah. It's like they work. Yeah. And then the interesting thing is though, uh, on, on another machine that is like so fucking fun. I, I sent it to one of the guys I talked about, like Weston, it's like the machine's taken off on another machine with like brand new coolant. It's so fucking foamy. It's like a, it's like a bubble bath Ooh. and my tools don't run. Really? Yeah. Cause you're basically shooting air. Right. Yeah. And they're like, and they're keep, they're like, well on our, it doesn't affect our other programs. It's like, I'm twice as fast right. in a different material condition. Like we just need to be more dialed in. They're like, well, it works on the other things. It's like, Yeah. The thing that we're trying to stop doing. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Do you want to make more money or do you yeah. want to fight me about yeah. cool it? Like, this is easy. It's Yeah. So it's like, okay, so we're probably going to change the collets to be on the power grip to be the coolant flush collets. So oh, nice. more direct, more direct coolant flow because right now we're coming from the outside. So yeah. it's like any little bit. It's, I mean, we're just in, we're hammering the material. So if it doesn't work, um, if it doesn't work, it breaks. We've had like, I use the same tool for like six months on one machine and then we cut six parts on the other machine and it broke. And it's like, and they're like, what happened? And it's like, this is what I think it is. Yeah. And we're like, maybe. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that's just development in general. Yeah. That's the part. That's the fun part where you just have the same guys who are like, how do we get this wrapped up? It's like, we just started going to like, running full sets of parts and you want like we have zero proven like i mean at this point we've made quite a few good parts but they're like all right cool fucking right. send it see you dude <laughs> you're done right oh yeah so that's a that's a tough one it's always a tough one to answer i, I can think of a couple of times where i'm like in the past year where i'm like i can't believe this fucking worked but it did right <laughs> you know yeah uh, but I can't think of it at the moment. Yeah, I can't think of anything overly sketchy that I've done. Yeah. Because I would usually equate those two things together, you know, dumb and <laughs> sketchy. Yeah. I'm sure I've done things like that, but nothing comes to mind. If I think of anything. We'll update. Yeah, we'll update. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sure that there are dumb things that I've done. Well, I just random though like or not random but cool thing that i've done is i finally got to use the um 
the like binary palette ID thing. Oh, really? Been talking about? Yeah, fucking finally. Customer had issues with they had five palettes and they found like they could only get two to run well. And so they would run these two pallets in the exact same position every time. And then we started adding stuff because like everything is I'm this is me picking up a project from another consultant who walked away. Yeah. And some of the shit that they were doing was like a little wonky. Oh, actually, I have another thing to talk about in relation to these guys, too, which is good. Okay, good. It's a Renishaw thing. And so like everything was kind of. It was, it's uh, macro driven, which is cool. They're using a shitload of the macros, but it was set up in a way that like, as if every palette was exactly the same, which is how you would do it. But these palettes weren't the same. And so they needed different macro variables. So depending, so essentially what we did is like cut, cut slots in the palettes, four slots or zero slots, right? For like a total of 16 identifiers, even though they only had five. Mm-hmm. Then it would probe, probe, probe based on whatever that palette was. And it would do that in each location to tell it what what set of variables to use for that particular palette so that they could mix and match them and start to get like, because they're essentially like, they just have a lot of door open time because they have to pull the palettes out, change all the parts, put it back. And like, if they're ripping, like it's like 30, 45 seconds, but you're just not going to keep that pace all fucking right. day. Yeah. Well, you're going to make mistakes or you're, you know, because you're rushing, you're going to like misload a part. Yeah. And then probably same thing, picking up from a consultant, a different consultant who wasn't familiar with like their, their bigger Haas guys. They're not Fanic guys. So when they were probing these, like then they were doing probing, they did it in a really interesting way. I mean, it worked and it was functional, but they would essentially like probe and set. There's 40 parts on this palette. They would probe and set each one. And then do a transformation, like then do math to put it in the right location based on the first work offset, which is like, it was working. It was functional. Okay. And then we did two things. Number one, if you use like the go probe cycles in like, it goes through checking to make sure the probe is on, turns it off at the end. It's just like a, it's a waste of time, which typically second, two seconds, not so bad. 40 parts it starts to add up right so we did two things there which is i don't know if you're familiar with this i was talking to john who we're gonna go see in memphis about super touch which is something i'm a little like i've done a little bit before but not a ton i just haven't really had a need to and so that is are you familiar i think they're scanning right it's It's similar to like the right ones it is a optimization cycle oh that's part of the gopro stuff and so what you do is you'd like take the probe and you put it on the edge of a square and then you tell it how far in it's going to go and how far down it's going to go. And it's going to, it's going to like slam into the side of this thing 40 times. Boom, 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 boom. And what, it, what it's doing is based on a value that you gave it in terms of repeatability, two tenths, one tenth, whatever, it's going to decide like, oh, I'm like, this is the speed at which I am, I am optimized for, for that repeatability oh, cool. and it does it in Z2. And so you do that, you recalibrate and then I ran it again and it got a little bit faster and then I switched it. And like, so just that change without changing anything else 
went from a 15 minute probing cycle to an eight minute probing cycle. Wow. Huge. That's massive. crazy. And like, keep in mind, this is 40 parts. So it was like an incremental change, like a very small change to one part that just added up. But it was like, you could see it like in how it probes, like the fast feed rate, everything like, and apparently like, this is something I really, really want to dive into is like, it will intelligently decide on if it needs to touch twice or once. Oh, cool. And I don't know what, what that trigger is as of right now, but it's something that I'm like really interested in diving into because that could make a massive difference because totally. like people fucking hate, like, I mean, I know, uh, like I think, what is it? Easton uses the bloom probing cycles with his Renishaw pro because they're faster type of thing, but they yeah. don't have certain features Yeah, like the three, three point bore or whatever, yeah. you know? And so it's like, well, and one thing you can do too, that I think I saw Greg Koenig do in yeah. his speedio. And I assume you could do it with Renishaw is turn on the probe and do all the checking in the carousel before it's in the spindle. Sure. Yeah. Cause the, I can see it. I mean, unless you're like, you know, all the way up at the top, it might not be able to see it, but yeah. if it's, close to where it's supposed to be well, most of like these these machines are were robo drills mm -hmm. and renishaw is pushing mostly for radios radio probes so it doesn't need to see shit right right like it's like as long as it's in there yeah like it's turning on but like on, a, on an omp yeah like, yeah it should you... have no problem with a robo drill seeing yeah. it and turning it on True. in the carousel so yeah i mean the... yeah they they started to switch methods switch to robo like to the rmps really yeah huh. mostly because like when you would start to stack robo drills next to each other because of like especially on like the phone booths and stuff like that one would pick up like the machine next to it would start to pick up shit over here and you'd get some really fucked up shit going on and so they went to huh. radio because they're paired that's interesting i I wonder if I don't have issues between these two machines. Yeah. Because one's a Bloom and one's a Renishaw then. Because yeah. I never even thought about that. Yeah. Like this one reflecting off inside of the, the F or something. I don't think it's like, it's one of those things that it might not happen very often, but when it does happen, it it's a one. fucking problem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. All, all it takes is one, the wrong one. Yeah. So that's, huh. I never even thought, thought about that, yeah. but that makes sense. Definitely makes sense. Yeah. So that, that, that's not dumb. That's fucking rad. It's something that I've like, I've always, you get into these situations where it's like, this is cool. I want to use this, but I need a reason to. Yeah. And cause like, if all you're doing is like just setting stuff, you probably won't see much benefit from it. But if you're doing a lot of in-process probing, it's going to make a massive difference for like your out of the box go probe stuff. I don't know how it works over here, you know? If you have that function or not, or I, they're all running in Bloom routines. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So like you wouldn't see it anyway. No, I'm waiting on the new ones. I keep hearing that V4 is coming for my machines and I'm bugging everyone at Yamazin constantly about it. I'm sure they're tired of hearing from me. Yeah. Like, Come on, let's go. Well, cause so one thing I've seen in these machines is probe drift. Like they'll be... I'll go check run out and they're still within two or three tenths. Yeah. But their reported size that it's checking will start changing from nominal. Interesting. Like over the course of maybe two weeks, three weeks, huh. like it'll go from being like, I'll mic something and then probe it. And it'll be dead nuts. What I mic'd. Yeah. To like up to a thou difference. Sometimes. And I, again, that could be maybe even stuff on the ball. Like I'm considering adding 
just a quick coolant blast to the tip just before I start using it. But one thing I think I'm going to do is add calibration spheres to all my machines and just put covers on them and have them hard mounted in there. And that way I'll calibrate at the beginning of every week. There's no finding a place for a, a gauge ring or anything like that. And then also I can use them to track thermal growth. Yep. But that's... Right now, on the Blum routines or Bloom routines I have, I can't do calibration spheres. I can only do rings. Really? And I don't want to mount a ring because a ring is just like a big old trash can for chips. Yeah. Even yeah. if it didn't have a bottom to it. Like, I just don't. It's, yeah. Hole, no matter how big of a hole you make, the chips are going yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Whereas I think a calibration sphere with like a cover that I just put back on it is pretty safe. Yeah. So that's... You ever think... I mean, I was going to like... If it's worth making it like you could take it out, like with like the fifth axis thing or whatever, you know, but if it's cheaper. Yeah. Easy. I mean, they're like 200 bucks or something. Yeah. So I'm not worried about it. I'm probably going to just like, you, you can see you where lost. my tool yeah. setters are. Yep. I'm probably just going to drill into those risers and then put them off at an angle. Oh, yep. so it's already unused space and it should just mean that our in-process probing gets really accurate. Yeah. And like we'll maintain accuracy and because I really want to push that into our templates so we can just start checking a bunch of features at the end of every program mm-hmm. and reporting it out and saving ourselves a lot of dialing in time. Yeah. And you could, and like built into that routine. Well, I mean, I want to like walk over there, but it's like, you could, you could go as far as like putting air blast. If, especially if you're talking about putting it on your, off the riser, you could plumb air blast to the, to the, Z Nano mm-hmm. and to the ball and yeah. leave it uncovered. Oh yeah, you that's know, true. and then blast, and then knowing, and then like first thing before you do in process inspection is you go touch the ball, and it's like what's the size, and if it's no good, you recalibrate. Yeah, like in the moment. Oh, that's a good one. And then yeah. and then you just go do your thing. I like that. Yeah, it's it's all coming. Really starting to push more and more into templates and all of that, and yeah. I think one of those things is going to be yeah. getting our in process probing where it's dead accurate because those those blooms are super super accurate i i notice like fresh calibration between that and the renishaw it's a little bit more accurate at the same speed that's cool i think it's just because of the way that they like they're a shutter system yeah. so there's actually a laser in there oh and when that's it cool. touches it unshutters the laser yeah and so that it triggers a point versus like the three point contact in a normal omp where yeah. it's just a gel pack and a contact sure. point or whatever uh, but yeah, I don't know. We'll see. It's it all kind of right. Like V3 probing routines I can get right now. And I think I even have a copy of them and it has calibration sphere stuff, but I don't know how much has changed to V4. Yeah. It's like, I'm not going to put all this time and effort into creating these processes that might have to seriously change in the next two months. Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. It's rad. Yeah. It should be fun. Yeah. It should be a lot of fun. Hopefully by that point we'll be moved as well. But any update on shop space? There are two going. leads right now. Okay. One of them, there was that initial space that I told you about that we were really hot on that they were kind of worried about the noise. And yeah. Then we like, you know, inquired more about it and then it, they, it was gone. Well, in, the, in that same business park, there was a series of six suites that were all combined into one. It was like 8,900 square feet. Holy shit. And he was like, hey, any interest? And I said, no, but if you want to break it in half, like we'll take 3,900 or, yeah. you know, 5,200 if you want to break it like that. And so he's putting together a plan to bring to them. And then he, like yesterday, emailed me and said, 
so did you come up with any plans for noise mitigation? And I said, nope, it's not going to be a problem. I took readings. I really don't think we're that loud. Yeah. He just said, okay. Yeah, these things, I mean, even ripping, it's going to be fine. The most noise I could make with the machines was like, mid to high 80 decibels yeah that's fine inside the shop yeah that not including walls you know air blasts like blowing off parts was maybe 90 yeah the chop saw was like maybe 90 but when i was i was running it all off my phone with like a decibel meter yeah and brad and i yelling at each other through earplugs was just as loud as the loudest thing in the shop yeah so it's gonna be fine yeah it'll be fine uh so we'll see. I'm waiting to hear that. And then there was another one that he brought to us that was a empty shell unit that was 5,000 square feet. Okay. And I guess they've been talking, the owner has been talking about developing it for a long time. Sure. And so I told them, we're, we're happy to move in. Here are yeah. our needs. And he said he'd drop a plan and talk to them. So that's awesome. We'll see. Fingers crossed on either one of them. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Either one will be a ton of room. And I think, yeah, I think they're either one would have over 200 amps a three phase. Okay. So double what we have now. Yeah. Be great. I mean, I love 100 here. Yeah. Fuck. Oh, it's barely enough to keep the lights on quite yeah. literally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. We don't have any problems. The brothers are so power efficient. Like they yeah. ask for a 30 amp breaker, yeah, which sure. means that they run maybe probably 15 amps. Yeah. If that, if, um, like if you have like, xyz and the spindle all like cranked yeah Yeah. which like it's just never happening right yeah it would have to be an overload on all three axes and the spindle and the servo and the tool changer yeah all at the exact same time yeah i mean absolute worst case scenario so we have an undersized breaker on our matsura right now (laughs) just because like just because of what was available right to get it going well if it makes you feel any better my first boss, I think he said when they started the company, he was running two Kitamuras off of a 30 amp breaker yeah. on a rotary phase converter too. Yeah. So it was like totally the absolute right. worst case. And he was totally fine with those. And those were probably 40 amp machines, 50 amp machines. Yeah. Like running two of them. Yeah. It's like, cause I mean, some of those giant Nakamuras, like if you power them and like methods would power them the way they ask you, they're asking for like two, three, 400 amps yeah. a machine. Yep. And it's like, what yeah like but that's you know all those axes going all at once and it's like it's never gonna happen right yeah well i know that there was a on the new speedio controls the d0 there's a power meter okay and the one that they were running at the show like doing hogging cuts and steel i want to say it was pulling like 1200 watts or something it was like dude i have a gaming computer that you know, like, you know, people, yeah. people have gaming computers that run yeah. more than that. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. So. It's hilarious. Yeah, well, it's three phase, you know. So. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. But but still, you yeah. know, just like it's, in terms of how much power we're actually pulling right now. Yeah, and really, we want 200 plus because we know that you know whatever it's, five axis we get is going to want 100. Whatever five axis we get, <laughs> most likely, like it's, not, is like it's not a fucking done. Deal. It's not a done deal yet. I haven't signed anything. But. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah we decided to go with an mx330 <laughs> i mean jeff made them sound pretty attractive but i i've seen too many monsters great machines yeah but i mean even you like you put in that giant light and it's still pretty dark like they just I'm built putting, dark machines put in another one too good yeah <laughs> yeah oh yeah that was the other thing i put that i gotta post that because i put a i took they had two fluorescents in it two like 12 inch t5s yeah and i put that 28 like it's like 
30 inch long, like 28 watt LED and it's fucking bright. Yeah. And I got, I need to lower it. And then I got another like 14 watt light to put on the other side and then wire that really nice. Cause it's pretty, I do like a real janky, like proof of concept, like yeah. good to cut, but like works and yeah, made a massive difference. Oh but, yeah. But it is still like, wow. You know what it really is? I realized too, is the fact that they paint the inside of their machines, dark colors. Yeah. It's like, dude, what? I have, dude, I have the original brochure for that machine which is insane. Yeah. And the machines like when it's, when it's still the blue, cause like the blue does a pretty good job. Like it reflects the light and like, Oh, that would work. But that's fucking gone. Yeah. It makes you wonder like, and like, it's like, should I paint the inside of this thing? It's like, what am I fucking talking about? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. No, no, save your money. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I'm, very hopeful that this place works out. Four thousand square feet would be immense for us. Yeah, because this is one thousand. One thousand. Yeah. It, honestly, like you know, that would be so funny. Like for a little bit, it would just be hilarious. Yeah. Because like this place is stuffed. Just to see like all of this in a corner, basically. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, you do. You would. I'm sure where we are sitting right now would be an actual office, not yeah. just shop space. So that makes a big difference. This probably, oh, this might stay a shop floor, but you might have this in your inspection room. It'd probably go on inspection. Yeah, yeah. So like your inspection, like the office that we see there would probably be like twice as big. The, what we're in currently would be an actual office. So that would be half this space, like right. 500 square feet of office, essentially. I, I don't know. Like, it'll just be so nice to spread things out. I mean, we... It's tight in here. Well, and like all the machines are the the smallest amount that you're legally supposed to allow for between machines and yeah. from the walls and all of that stuff. It, it Yeah, it just sucks. So ready to be out of here. And I told you about our, our water situation just that before was, this. Yeah. So for the listeners... We didn't, we've never had in-suite water. We've always had these spigots and they're, you know, every three or four suites on the outside of the building. And the nearest one was just the next suite over for us. And it had always leaked a little bit when we moved in. And then our next door neighbor and I put a splitter on it so that we could both use a hose from it with no worries. And the splitter prevented it from leaking. It stopped from leaking when we put a splitter on it with nice ball valves. Surprise, surprise. About six months ago, we come into the shop after a weekend and they had put locks on all of them and thrown away our splitter and our nice hose and disconnect. Fucked up. Oh, it was terrible. And we got a copy of the key, thankfully, because our next door neighbor was here the day that they did that and got the key. And so we've been doing that for six months or whatever. And then we come back from Germany and go to look at it and it's completely cinder blocked and concreted over. And come to find out the story is... Plumber came to look at it, said, oh, it's leaking from underground, which it wasn't. It was leaking from the shitty spigot. And that they just decided, oh, we don't want to dig up the concrete. So they just concreted it over. So Brad and I had to buy a really expensive hose reel and 250 feet of hose so we could get all the way down to the end of the building to use the other spigot. It's just, it's a nightmare. And we talked to them. We said, hey, this is vital to our business. And they said, we have no plans of fixing it. Yeah. I said, fucking shove it. Yeah. That's, 
and I like I've had landlord woes too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is like annoying because I've been in this place for like three years or something. This is like year number three, and now that everything's running, I'm like, I think I want to stay in this space. And it's like, hey, the like, can I put a mini split? Can I put two mini splits in here? One for the office, one for the shop. And he told me this isn't part of our long term plans for the building. She's like, what the fuck does that even mean? Right. Uh, and. And then like, he's just been, and I asked him like about re-upping the lease and he completely ignored me, which is bizarre. And I'm thinking it's because of like where rental rates have gone. Cause we're like under $9 a square foot per year. Right. And everything I've looked at so far has been like 12 to $15 per square foot for a year yeah. in the same area, which is like, Oh God, that's a nightmare. 12 is what we're hoping to pay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Basically, a dollar a square foot per month yeah. is, is what I'm hoping to do. Which pay. is like fine. Yeah. I'm, I like in 1,700 square feet for 1250 a month. Yeah. Like it's pretty killer. And I'm really trying to not get a triple net lease yeah. where like they pass on property tax increases and stuff too. Yeah, they're like, oh, the per, yeah, it's like, oh, it's cheap. Cheap. Don't worry about it. Then it's yeah. like, God, well, okay, so this is a good cautionary yeah. tale. You know how everybody tells you like the politics you should be looking into is your local politics. Yeah. So I've never heard a good concrete example of this, but then I was talking to my friend who owns a lighting company in Chicago. Yeah. And we were talking on the phone. We talk a lot. He, he's really good person to bounce business stuff off of. He's actually the one who really convinced me to go full time. Nice. But he, he goes, Oh yeah. I didn't tell you that I'm going to have to move the business. And I said, why? And he goes, Oh, well we elected a new it's like corporation commissioner or something who reevaluated the property, who ordered reevaluation of the property. And so the value of the property went from like $2 million to $10 million. So my rent is going up like 37% next year. Holy shit. And so he obviously just said, well, we're, we're not re-upping our lease. Yeah. But, you know, direct correlation, like this person yeah. gets elected. Yeah. This, you know reevaluation goes on and then yeah he's sol because he's in a triple net lease and all of the increases on property taxes that flow is, right down to him that is fucked yeah <laughs> that is really fucked so that's the other thing i'm hoping for is that it's like a modified gross lease or something sure. where it's not so much that can be flowed down to me we'll see yeah don't worry it's less than a dollar per square foot per year right. it's okay don't yeah. worry yeah we're we're I want to be picky, but we're at the point where I can't be too picky. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll be I'll be thankful if I'm not working across town at this point. Like, yeah. I just want to because there there's actually really nice buildings on yeah. the other side of town. It would just take me forty minutes to get there, and Brad yeah, like just, an hour and fifteen. No, you guys just both move easy. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, for me, it's I wouldn't really care. Man, yeah. he owns a house, so oh. he's not. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think he's going to do that. Sucker. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a cautionary tale. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't buy rent. So you can, you're more flexible. Yeah. 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 So you can move your shop anywhere. Yeah. Exactly. I might like, if I have to move my shop, I might move it here. Not to Tucson, right, but to, to Phoenix. Phoenix. Yeah. yeah. I would imagine like, it would be just as easy to find shop space there as it would yeah. in Utah. And I would, yeah, rather be, I like Utah a lot, but I'd rather be here then I would rather be in Utah. Right. Well, and it um, sounds like you're going to be here on and off anyway. For yeah. Stuff, yeah, so. pretty much. Yeah. Move like, I mean, I drove down here and moved my sister down here. 
were in a nice place in Gilbert. Kind of like, so she got a shitload of money from selling her house in Kentucky, but she doesn't have a job at the moment. So he's like my income uh, to get into the place. And then she has the money to like pay for it, basically. Just cool. Awesome. Yeah. But I have a bedroom here now. That's, so. yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's killer. Well, especially if you're starting up a project in Phoenix. I mean, that kind of works out great. Yeah. I like, yeah, it's one of those things. Like every time I come back to Arizona, I'm like, God, I fucking love it here. <laughs> Even though it's like, there's still a lot that's like, it's gotten more expensive. And oh, yeah. I could talk a lot of shit about it. Thanks all the Californians who yeah. are coming over. Oh, yeah, boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Me and my sister both grew up in California. <laughs> yeah, you're the problem, yeah. okay? <laughs> we came in like 2007. Okay, yeah, that was before. Yeah. Before all the issues. Yeah, back when Gilbert was mostly farms, and it's now it's subdivisions. Uh-huh. Uh, that's so, it's so wild, like, going around, because, like, we're basically in a similar neighborhood as to where, like, I was when we first came out here, and it's, like, just crazy. The growth is insane. It's oh, awesome. give it... 50, 60 years, and Tucson and Phoenix are just going to meet in the middle in <laughs> yeah. Casa Grande. There, there, was a, there was an Onion article that was like about, fuck, it was like every, like the world has become a suburb of Phoenix, basically. <laughs> it's fucking hilarious. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, there's what, five, six, you know, suburbs now that were individual towns at one point. And I guess yeah. they technically have their own city council and whatever, but there's no break from Gilbert to Phoenix proper or yeah exactly you know, chandler or yeah yeah gilbert chandler mason yeah technically there was like higley in there but right. that's basically gilbert mesa is like a really fucking weird shape where it borders tempe chandler and gilbert but it like wraps around yeah. gilbert and it's like what the fuck it's like all along the I mean very now we're getting to like really local shit <laughs> it's just like it like follows the whole 202 and you're like including the big loop and uh-huh. like, what the fuck is this yeah. who made these boards yeah who was dumb enough and yeah yeah and then there's a fucking apache junction baby oh man yeah yeah don't go north of there right? yeah uh, all right what did you research this week probing on the matsura okay that's what i oh, on your matsura on my matsura can you do it yes really yeah it was a factory option okay and so there's actually a guy in uh in Chandler, who's from Chicago, uh, fuck, what's the metrology research group is the name of his company. Sounds familiar. Yeah. So all he does is probe installs. Um, Sweet. Yeah. He's really fucking good at it. Super smart guy. Very helpful. Like there's another company out of Southern California that does the same thing. And the owner of that company, very smart, but like talking to him is like talking to a wall. Cause he's just talking at you the mm-hmm. whole time. And like, he solved my problem when I had a problem with his install, but I got like nothing from it really. It was very bizarre. And Ugh. then he was gone. Meanwhile, this guy over here, uh, so is starting to use them more to do installs. That's how I got there. Oh, really? Yeah. They did a, cause so doesn't install their own probes. I um, didn't know that. Yeah. It's like, like these guys, a- he was saying they do, all the probe installs, like this RP M- MRG, they do like all of JTEC's probe installs. No way. And they do a lot of DMG's probe installs. Hmm. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's like methods does a lot of their probe installs, but kind of where 
Methods is a lot of like methods does their own bar feeder install. They do everything like, which has a lot of advantages, but it also ends up tying up your techs. If you have like in Utah, for instance, Selway only has two guys. So if it's a big install, they're both tied up on it. Then they end up like both having to leave. So tying up extra time, do the probe installation and everything, which they don't really do all that often. Like, I mean, they probably would get good at it, but it's like, okay, cool. We're, we're on to the next install. These guys come in, they just get it going. It's all they do. So they just hammer it out. They've like developed their own like probing stuff. Like they use the Renishaw stuff, but like it's different somehow. I don't know. And so I was talking to him. He's actually done the like a probe install on like the exact machine that oh, I have. Oh, that's awesome. So like, yeah, RA2G with a J300 gave me documentation for it and stuff. So I was like, talking to easton because easton did like an ebay thing or whatever and so can we have a sidebar too about how great yasnet controls are and how i wish that they were yeah more ubiquitous than yeah Fennec. so like flipping that i am i am so impressed with this j300 control it's so good it is so good and so like a lot of it has just been like like just poking around and prodding in that control is like I can't believe, like, some of it's like, oh, this must have been something Matsura built. And it's like, no, no. Like, that screen I was talking to you about, it's like, that's a fucking Yaznak yeah. control. Where it's got the, the, we're talking about the tool touch off, where you start from home, you put in a bias, you run it down, and then when it touches or whatever, you just say, right, and it puts the right fucking, you don't have to do any math. Yep. It just works yeah so if and you like, touch off a one two three block you say it's a yeah. three inch bias and then it comes yeah. in and touches and you're it's done it's like something that i've written a whole fucking macro to do on a fanic control is just built into this to this control that's 22 years old yeah and it's like do fucking better guys <laughs> like what the fuck it's processes code very quickly yeah. like like you were saying like i think i have the high speed board that same high speed board that you were talking about yeah i never turned um, mine on and I, in the entire time yeah. we had the kitty running full-on adaptive as fast as that, the machine could go yeah and that was like i was very impressed with how it was eating code without turning anything on like it eats code faster than like a modern hoss without even a modern fanic control without high speed functions yeah which is like great it's kind of insane actually and like the roughing toolpaths like it left the exact amount of material that we wanted it to leave like straight out adaptive and like it was dead even x and y and i was like wow yeah i am so thoroughly impressed and like in love with this control that's where i was like i want to put probing on this thing and like really get that into because like i'm only using fusion for that machine like i i mean we have master cam but that's really for projects right like now we're, we're just gonna like if i could get probing and maybe tool setting i don't know i might get a tool setter for my customer um, okay because they like they don't use it and i've looked up what it costs and it's like if you were to sell it now you get like 500 dollars for it and it's like they're talking about junking it and it's like they're like well we don't like it because it doesn't clamp the tool and it's like i don't fucking care <laughs> I'm like, i will throw it away for you <laughs> yeah yeah i will take that thing so it's like if I could do offline tool setting and then do probing, like I don't want to buy brand new probing because like I would probably spend again more than I bought the machine for right. for probing. But if I like eBay it or like I think I could work a deal out with Patrick, the guy in MRG, his name's Patrick Murphy. He's a cool guy. Uh, he's like, I could probably work with you on some of this stuff to make it like affordable. He's like, I don't want you to go used if you don't have to. And it's like, okay, fair. That's nice of him. 
Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, I that's that's what I and like with all the documentation that we have, it's like I have everything I need. I just need essentially I need the money. I'm broke as shit, so it's not right. happening. But it's like it's good to know that if I want to, like in a couple months, we'll just pull the trigger. But right now, everything's vice work. I bought a like cheap Chinese like dial tool setter thing. Yep. Set everything to the base of the vice, you know. So you flip it. All my tools are set there. I don't really need to change anything. Fusion handles that. Like first test, like pretty much like we're within what we need to be for like cotton parts. So that's how we're going to run from now with edge finder. I put edge finder in a fucking side lock holder in position number 30. Cause that's where the probe will go. Yep. <laughs> you know, there we go. That's awesome, dude. Yeah. I'm glad to hear it. What about you? Well, I told you last time we talked, mm-hmm. I was talking about getting that camera and I bought that camera. <laughs> yeah, you did. We've been filming some stuff. So I've been doing a lot of research and learning in DaVinci Resolve. Okay. Which is so deep. Yeah. Oh my god. I knew it was gonna be a deep rabbit hole, but holy crap. Yeah. It, I've been watching all these tutorials and I realized as I was listening to them, it's like this is what I must sound like when I'm teaching fusion to someone who doesn't know it yeah because there's just so many words that i don't know that like i've had to rewatch videos as yeah. i learn more and more and you're like oh because well, resolve <laughs> yeah. is not it's it's like fusion 360 where it's everything it yeah. is editing it's color grading it's animation you can do all oh. your you know digital effects if in there if you wanted to yeah. it has everything built into it and all of that is just overwhelming but it's fun. It's a lot of fun. And I'm really excited about the content that we will produce with it Sick. as I get better. Nice. But people will have to bear with me as I release a bunch of only partially good or very shitty videos as I get better. <laughs> They're good. The it, way you've done so far is good. I appreciate it. Still needs a lot of work, but yeah, I'm, I'm really excited and it's a lot of fun. I, I got a gimbal for it that I finally set up yesterday, like I'd used... It's gotten so cheap. Like a used, nice DJI Ronin was like 150 bucks. Yeah. And I wasn't going to get one, but I wanted some like slider shots and stuff. And sure. A, some nice sliders, like grand or 150 bucks for a Ronin. Yeah. I was like, this seems like the better buy anyway. Because the um, Ronin, you, do you need, that's the one that you can get to like track somebody. This one or do you need is the phone for that. This one's newer old enough that it does not do that i don't oh, think dang. so i'll have to track manually yeah the new ones are insane i was looking at them last night they not only will do active track but they have so i showed you the video of i not only have the gimbal but i have focus motors on yeah it. and the newest one has a lidar sensor you can buy and will do autofocus on a cinema camera okay with its lidar thing it's the same yeah. lidar that they use on their ronin camera yeah but again, it's a probably $1,500 gimbal plus $500 for the sensor. Yeah. It's more than I need to invest yeah. in what is right now just a hobby and not helping us at all. Yeah. Uh, Protein photography. Not going to happen. Editing my own shit is also just, uh, yeah. Editing this podcast has gotten, my, gotten me a lot more used to hearing my voice. But now sure. seeing me and editing, it's 
be it's, like, Whoa! yeah, it, exactly. It's that whole feeling of, I was talking to Zach from Breaking Taps about this. Yeah. You get to the end of editing, just an editing session, have it with a podcast and now with video. And you're like, I'm so sick of this person I'm seeing or hearing. Why would anybody listen to this person? Yeah, like yeah, why, yeah. you know, you, you get such bad imposter syndrome where you're, you're so sick of your own voice, your your own face. Yeah, you're like, oh. yeah, you're like, why would anybody look Excuse at this dumb me. face and think that they should trust them with parts or whatever? Yeah. Um. So, but it's a lot of fun. I'm really excited. Should be should be a, a lot of fun to make some yeah. cool content. It's probably a nice, like, cool little break, I guess, for like your brain. Yeah. To be able to like get into, I mean, it's like why I like to bake and stuff is like you get to do something technical. That isn't what you do every day. Yes. And so you're like, this is, it's like a fun thing. Well, and I've always been, I've always wanted to do more with video. Like, I think, I don't know if I told you, but I really wanted to buy the original Blackmagic cinema camera. Like I had zero reason for it. I think I was still in high school when it came out. But I just, it was like, oh, this is so cool. Like, I want one of these. And so to be able to buy the three generation later version of it, yeah. like, satisfied such a, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, teenage Dylan You're like, want. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, it, yeah, it's been a lot. It's been really good. I'm excited. Nice. Yeah. So then what did you do to better yourself this week? Probably the biggest one. It's just, like, truthfully, like, saying no to that one customer. Was like the big one. That is a really big thing. That's really tough, especially it, when you're like hurting. It's like, yeah, exactly. I mean, I told them it's like, frankly, I could, I could use the money, but like, this is not a good fit for yeah. me. And like, it, I don't, I don't want to continue to take work for the sake of taking work, especially like that project. I would have to hire somebody to really do that. And I don't want to like bring somebody in to work on this thing that I don't feel good about, you know? It's like I couldn't put somebody in that position, so that was probably uh, that was that was probably the biggest thing that I did is just like really sticking with like this is what we're gonna do, you know. Good for you, dude. Yeah, that's that's big. That's really big. I have not bettered myself this week, but I need to work on getting to bed earlier. I've been that. That's something I've been working on. Big time. I've actually been pretty successful, but I was sick all this week, so it was easy. <laughs> this week, especially, I don't know what it is. I'll like blink and it's 1 a.m. Yeah. And happens <laughs> all the time. Like, where you're like, oh, I can get to bed at a reasonable hour. Yeah. Awesome. And then the next thing you know, it's like, where did the last three hours go? Yeah. Why am I still awake? What the fuck did I just do? I think I said most of those words a few yeah. days ago. I It was like 9.45 or 10. And I thought, oh, great. I'm tired. I'm going go to go to bed. Yeah. And then. The I doom scroll. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't remember what I did. But yeah. I remember I took a shower in there somewhere. And I got out of the shower and looked. And I was like, it's 12.15. Yeah. What What happened? I didn't take a two-hour shower. Where did all this time go? Yeah. Time, yeah. Time just like, it's like crazy how you're just like, wow, that was nuts. Yeah. It's just gone. Yeah. I, I guess I have the one thing I've started doing again. I bought another set of those Aqua Notes for the shower. Okay. Because I ran out of those. So yeah. I, I used the shit out of those. Like, okay. And then I started carrying my little notebook again and writing myself to-do lists. Because nice. 
it's just gotten unmanageable. Yeah. Uh, I was talking to Alex Kern today and you know, he, he was talking on his last podcast about getting his ducks in a row. Yeah. I said, my ducks are very much not uh, in a row. Like <laughs> yeah. they are. This pond is unruly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's been helping a little bit is writing down things. The second I think of doing them mm-hmm. because the next second I will completely forget about doing them. And it's, yeah, it, it's just been tough to, I think, keep focused. So yeah, I've been working on that. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Well, dude, thank you so much for coming down to have this yeah, podcast. It's been really you. cool to hang out. Yeah. Yeah. I think the longest we had hung out, I guess, was a couple hours the last time you were in town, but yeah. we didn't get to do a podcast or anything. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I think most of I know we, we hung out more this time, I think. Yeah. Uh, we're getting dinner after this? I'm, I'm down. Yeah. I'm okay. hungry. Pizza? Yeah. Fuck yeah. Thank you to new patron Patreon members, Grant and Joshua. Thanks to all the Patreon members who make the show possible. And thank you all for listening. I will be back next week.